0: Welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and this is a podcast and YouTube show that is all about the regenerative future. We are about finding the permaculture solutions to all of our problems, whether it's social, political, economic, there are regenerative solutions. There are better designs that serve both people and the environment on into the future, which is the balance of the three ethics. And today I, we have an incredible guest, someone who is foundational in my understanding of how to manage orchards and food forests and how to work with perennials. It, it, it i'm talking about michael phillips the holistic orchardist the apple grower fungal planet author he, his his approach is the leading approach his knowledge is so deep he has such experience and he's such a wonderful teacher so if you're ready for a deep dive into the biology the soil biology the mycology of working with fruit trees then then get ready for this episode cuz we're about to dive right into it right into the thick of it <laughs> If you need some some point of reference, feel free to download the Permaculture Student Two, which is on my website. I'll put a link down in the in the description so that you can start there and get a kind of a base basis for what we're talking about. Um, but if you know what we're talking about, then get really excited because. This is going to extend your understanding of mycology, going to extend your understanding of what actions we can take to partner with soil biology. So, Advanced Permaculture with Michael Phillips talking about how we can really partner with fungi in the orchard. Let's get into it. Here we go. I think that there's no better place to start than the Holistic Orchard, um, than Mycorrhizal Planet, um, and with your work. So what, what would you say if someone was like, I want to plant a tree today and I'm going to do it, I, I just got out of my PDC and I'm going to just make a big hole and I'm going to put a ton of compost in it from my, from my kitchen compost. Um, or my vermicompost, and I'm just going to put it right in there, and and I'm going to (laughs) start.
1: Well, there's one aspect where what's there now in terms of like some kind of invasive plant, or if you're planting and recovering a monoculture cornfield where a lot of glyphosate roundup has been used, there's some actions you need to take just to... Clean that site, so to speak, get the biology humming. Um, but on the day of the tree planting, you know, one of the things that's important is digging enough of a hole so that the roots, as I start to reach out, have this nice place to go, but not too nice because you don't want to super alter the native soil. Um, but by loosening, adding things like Oh, some biochar, rock phosphate. Um, I, I guess I should preface this by saying I don't so much plant trees anymore as launch fungal ecosystems. And and so as I start to talk about soil amendments and certain minerals, um, underlying that is, is the fact that I'm definitely going to inoculate that root system with a mix of mycorrhizal fungi, ideally that has nine species in it, uh, which is the most that a commercial product offers. Those fungi, in turn, will colonize the roots. I want them to find safe places. Biochar is like that. They're gonna eventually be building soil aggregates and, and and have a lot more safe places, and that that's the building of soil tilt. Um, I'm gonna add a little compost to the whole. Not so much because I'm thinking about the nutrients in the compost, but the microbe diversity, the bacteria that are gonna be found there because they're gonna work as partners with the fungi. Um, And in planting, I'm going to think about layering out the roots, just like a tree grows branches at different heights reaching into the sunshine. Those roots are going to radiate around the tree into different quadrants seeking nutrients. You don't want to just plunge them right straight down into a very narrow hole. So all of that creates this really amenable place for roots to start reaching out and get into the native soil, for fungi to take that colonization, bring the nutrients, the minerals to the tree, through the mycelium. And beyond that, we get into, like, what's the way to manage a young tree? So I'm, I'm going to include some romeo-chipped wood on that surface somewhere. Um, and by this, I just mean the smaller parts, ideally of deciduous trees, because they're rich in soluble lignins, And all of this is tied into launching that fungal ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. I was... I was really I was really impressed with the the seasonal perspective on the fungal duff and and the way that so many people um, get caught up in the pH of things and and the way that you approach it is really elegant by relying on that fungal duff to really be the determinant.
1: Well, a a few things going on there, Matt. Um, You know, long ago I asked myself the question, where does an apple tree want to grow? And just as explanation, I'll pretty much always say apple tree because that's like my heart companion. But that could be a pawpaw tree. That could be a persimmon tree. That could be a pear tree. That could be a peach tree. Whatever, Whatever your heart desires. We're talking about perennial species, woodsy species that produce fruit.
0: And, and, and the answer
1: to that question has to do with the biology. Um, it wants to be in a fungal place, but also out in the sunlight. And it turns out that right on the edge of the forest, the fungal biomass is 10 times greater than the bacterial biomass. Again, emphasizing that all these microbes are important. But that 10 to one ratio is something I want around my fruit trees. So I'm not saying you have to plant fruit trees on the edge of the forest. So I'm saying is we're going to bring soil ecosystem to where we plant our fruit trees. And to do that, it's a question of providing fungal foods in an ongoing basis. So that's the that's the notion of fungal duff management, that the zone around the tree, beneath the tree's drip line, is going to be a fungal place. And fungal foods include those rameal chip woods. Um, I'm going to want tap-rooted plants in the vicinity of my fruit trees because they bring minerals up from deep and from broadly around. Those minerals go into the stalk and leaf of the plant. The leaf the plant falls over. Now those minerals are available on the surface. So that that to me is the tap-root fertility loop. Um, I'm going to be interested in polyculture ideas. So maybe there's some nitrogen-fixing shrubs. Maybe they're right near the fruit tree maybe they're further out 100 200 feet away in the orchard ecosystem Um, but I'm going to compass manage those so their roots are bringing nitrogen into the underground economy and I'm going to use that wood as a raw meal source of the ideal nutrition for fungi to feed fruit trees I may not even chip it I may be piling brush or throwing some soil or hay over brush piles in low spots it's you know as, as you start to listen to this be thinking about okay forest edge what's happening out there i want to emulate that that's, that's a great teacher for me it's like yeah what happened on the forest edge i want to bring that here into where I'm, I'm growing fruit another thing in this we're going to do a, a quick sidebar because <laughs> this is so cool um another group of plants i like to have in the vicinity of an orchard ecosystem, and and really anywhere on your property to the degree you can, are what are known as as the soft hardwoods. So this is kind of straddling that line. They're, They're definitely deciduous species, but they're species like alder and willow and popple and birch and soft maple. And it turns out that these tree species have an affiliation with the two primary types of mycorrhizal fungi. So trees of the forest, they associate with ectomycorrhizae, which are, that's ECTO, and they're basically on the surface of the roots. And most of the plants on this precious earth affiliate with endomycorrhizal fungi, ENDO, and and that means that those are the ones that actually penetrate into the root cell. Um, Anyhow, these softer hardwoods. By having an affiliation with ectomycorrhizae means that there are hyphae, explorer hyphae, that run as much as 12 feet beyond the root to bring minerals back to the tree. That includes drilling down into bedrock, and, and now we're talking about remineralization from below. Those minerals are brought to the tree. The tree may need some of that, but by virtue of the fact that plant sap protoplasm serves as a mutual boundary between fungi and plant. Some of those minerals are gonna be taken up by other fungal species and carried now to the clovers and the grasses and the tap-rooted plants and the fruit trees and the berries. And so now you have this mineralization engine running and it's all there because you did some polyculture stuff but you probably didn't know it. But once you start (laughs) to think this way, it's like
0: wow yeah so i i've studied uh fungi pretty pretty much through paul stamets's work and then one-on-one with peter mccoy uh, as i wrote my book he was one of my peer reviewers and so i just want to ask to ask specifically about the ecto versus endo so ecto is showing Perhaps, are they the distance deliverers, and then endo, because they penetrate the cell, don't go as far out? Is, is that what you were saying? I've never heard that before.
1: So, so ecto, affiliated with the trees of the forest, both hardwood and softwood types. Um, these, these are the ones that are visible to our eye. We could, if we look at the fine roots of a, a tree and we see the white mycelium around them, right. we are seeing that mycorrhizae we see their fruiting bodies, that's where the the Chanterelles, the Belites, the Matsusakis, what have you, show up on the forest floor. And that particular type of fungi, which evolved from the white rot decomposition fungi, have explorer hyphae that can reach far. And working in conjunction with bacteria along the length of the hyphae, the fungus, gives the bacteria carbon sugars that it got from the plant. The bacteria in turn use organic acids to dissolve the rock and then the fungal tip sucks back those mineral and takes them back to the plant. So that, that's an ability of ectomycorrhizal fungi. And when we have a species where endosystems can tap into the protoplasm where that ecto delivery happens, now we're starting to build this complex trade network where minerals water etc are are moving around throughout a plant community and endo if you picture your your thumb as a feeder root of a whatever plant um or a little root hair and that's colonized by endotype mycorrhizae and there's maybe 300 some species on the the planet. So we all pretty much have the same friends down there in the soil, no matter where we are. Um, That thumb, that root hair, in and of itself can get soluble ion nutrition from maybe as much as half an inch, three quarters of an inch away. And that's what the capillary water brings to the tree. So what I'm describing right now is very much... NPK thinking, you know, soluble ion fertilizers Mm -hmm. and the plant only takes up simple nutrition. Now let's uh, add the fungal aspect to that. Now the mycelium is reaching four or so inches all around your root hair. And so now it has a much bigger shopping district and it's delivering that nutrition right into the cells of the root itself. That's where the nutrient transfer mechanism called the Arby School is located. Um, so endo their contribution is very much a volume density approach where ecto has that but it also has the further reach.
0: Wow. The, the reason I'm so interested in this is because online and in the research it says endomycorrhizae is preferred by annuals, ectomycorrhizae is preferred by trees and then there's a small group that prefers both. Um, and that it's, it's, it's so amazingly elegant how you've described it. And that make I mean, it makes way more sense, um, the way you've described it. Um, so I, I can't wait to correct this section of my book.
1: <laughs> so I, I think in that too, um, always keep in mind that we humans are like in kindergarten when it comes to understanding, these aspects of the soil biology and there's even studies from the past where you'll find apple and pear and hawthorn what have you identified as having an affiliation with ectotypes as well because it kind of makes sense that trees like woodsy species why wouldn't they have that ecto piece but for the most part the people who analyze what's affiliated with what plant tell us that the berries and fruit trees are in the endo grouping. Wow. But I'm open-minded, because <laughs> those fungi can do so many adaptations and carry forward the mycelium and, and goodness that nothing is beyond them.
0: And then with the bacterial relationship with the ectomycorrhizae, would those be the my- the the microbacteria that folks are talking about now?
1: Another example, and this one is with endotypes. Most endomycorrhizae are considered phenomenal at delivering phosphorus of the soil, uh, from the locked up portion of phosphorus in the soil to plants. And, and they do it working in conjunction with phosphate solubizing bacteria that, in the same fashion, live and travel along the hyphal filament, and nearer the tip, carbon sugars are exuded that feed those bacteria. That's where they do their work, on that piece of rock phosphate, which normally that phosphorus would not be available as a soluble ion to the plant. But the biology working in tandem as a team, kind of like a biological rotary hammer drill, so to speak, are dissolving those minerals and the fungus can pick
0: it up and deliver it back to the plant to trade for carbon sugars. Well, I did not realize that the fungi was behaving so similarly um, as the plant root.
1: I mean, the bacterial realm is, is, really comes into play in that rhizosphere around the root zone. But I'm, I'm again, go back to that thumb and, and that's your root hair and Four inches around is a mycelium none of that in and of itself is that far but it's a lot further than the root alone um there's a lot of microbes in that zone and when you start adding multiple species now you have lots of thumbs all with lots of mycelium around them and some of those species will if they're the same species will fuse so now the network is becoming more efficient moving things um, but every different plant is, is a location where nutrients are delivered to the protoplasm, some of them are used by the plant, some of those are taken by other fungi and moved along, and, and it's that plant community context where we start talking of not just 10, 100 times more soil volume access because there's fungus involved, but we're now talking about a million times more soil access for any plant in that plant community because of the teamwork that underlies it.
0: In your book you talk about how there's a 20 uh, you get you can get down to 25% of the inputs that you normally would use if you start partnering with the biology. Is there a way to get completely away from lime and all that?
1: <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's enters into what I call the great mineral debate. So there are voices. Elaine Ingham would be chief among them, who's done a lot of work to reveal the soil food web and teach us about compost teas. that a humming biology is going to deliver. When you think about a, a healthy wild ecosystem, you're seeing what she's saying in action. On the other hand, we have a lot of places where there's not a humming biology. And we got to restore that, and we need to restore that through the mechanism of lots of plant diversity to create lots of fungal diversity. And when we introduce the element of agriculture, and now we are taking that apple crop out of the orchard. We're taking some minerals out of the orchard. Um, I've come to see the investment in soil amendments as, as kind of twofold. One is prep work in the beginning, and this is where you're gonna get involved with lime, and hopefully from the perspective of the right lime, dolomitic lime has more magnesium, calcitic lime doesn't have much magnesium, and that part of the, what I call cation balance, determines how to go about adjusting pH in the the proper way. And, And what we're basically doing when we do that is we're setting the stage for plants and biology in the recovery stage to have access to very important mineral nutrition. So I, I line when I'm doing soil prep for an orchard. Um, people consult with me and we get into all that. But in the long run, as you start to feed fungal foods, and, and this is, I wanna emphasize, you know, our, one of our chief jobs as a human involved in this circle is providing that organic matter And and that can be done through design, as I said, the taproot fertility loop. That can be done by virtue of they did chip all this brushing matter along the highway or under the power lines, and I got some, lucky me, uh, and distribute that to my trees. But I also, when I make compost pile, which is another organic matter investment, um, I'll sprinkle a layer now and then with as I might play for supposedly all the minerals from A to Z. I will um, sprinkle some gypsum, because I know calcium is always a good bet. I will also, in my holistic spray program in the orchard, I utilize some minerals at certain critical points of influence on the plants, doing a lot of things like developing flower buds, setting, making seeds. Um, Often, that's the confluence when disease pressures and insect pressures are a lot higher and now we're getting into the realm of what i call healthy plant metabolism mineralization is very important there so comes to the great mineral debate like i get it biology is where we want to go and biology is going to trump soil fertility and what we think is important as humans many times over yet i also know that Some soils have specific deficiencies. It's good to address that. Some soils have a real radical imbalance in terms of calcium to magnesium to potassium. It's good to address that because that helps the plant take it up in a more balanced form and and use those minerals. Um, So there's some knowledge to be had in, in all camps.
0: Absolutely, you probably could save a lot of money um, in terms of how much compost you have to purchase to change that soil um, if, if you're not if you're not actually starting with uh, adjusting the minerals and it's really weird so something that you mentioned right there, which absolutely the first time that I read your book absolutely stunned me was your herbal tea section because I've heard about you know these different kinds of teas and i i read the recipes and immediately had like the elaine ingham reaction been like oh anaerobic but but then to see your herbal tea recipes how you're using em and aerating and then you're breaking it down to specifics as to what it's doing biologically what it's bringing in nutrient wise i had never seen that and i wanted to ask how did that begin and how do you uh, find some of these discoveries, or maybe the discoveries to you?
1: <laughs> so for me, that's that will do the little personal part first, where it began. I, um, I have a degree in civil engineering. I did that for ten months. Was in bumper-to-bumper traffic outside Washington, D.C., watching the sunrise, and thought, "I'm not doing this." And so I retired at age twenty-three, and. My path led many places as our paths do, and eventually I planted my first apple trees, started organic gardening, and I just wanted to do it organically. But I wasn't trained, and the knowledge of the time was all about There was no real depth to it. During that same time, my wife Nancy got interested in learning about healing plants, plant medicines. And so she did the usual correspondence course, um, did an internship, uh, which is often a group, um, as many as 40 people. And that group typically consists of 39 women and one guy. So it's mostly the women that follow this path. And anyway, she's learning about all these herbs what plants are good for what conditions, how to make tinctures and salves and infused oils, mm. what have you. And she comes home, all the women, they come home and they look around and they see this guy. This guy is what I call the herbal husband. And the herbal husband, he's a good guy, but suddenly he's being given all these remedies for conditions he didn't even know he had. And, and he, he recognizes, I am feeling better. And for me, <laughs> In my role as Herbal Husband, um, I started to understand good nutrients help my body system. Why can't I do that with plants? We evolved from the same place, the same essence. And so that got me going with simple herbal teas, which was basically just fermented plants, uh, things like nettle or comfrey or horsetail for silica. But then I expanded it to the concept of fermented plant extracts. And in doing so, I'm certainly building on a knowledge base that, that others have explored before me. Jerry Brunetti, his book, The Farmer's Ecosystem, was certainly a guide in this process. Um, Korean natural farming, this is done. This is done in Hawaii. This is done in India under various names, approaches. But my my thing was I definitely want to boost calcium levels and silica levels on fruit trees. Calcium helps the fruit store better. Um, Silica and calcium together form the foundation, what I call the cuticle defense against rots. And, And to recognize that I could start using plants that grow on my farm or nearby in my neighborhood. And for very little money, I add some rock dust, I add some milk. We don't have a cow anymore. I add some milk to the calcium tea. I can produce this ferment that not only is, think of that whole volume, I'm doing this in 55 gallon barrels now. That whole volume of of liquid is filled with nutrients, but it's also got the microbial piece because that's what did the fermenting. Um, I use some variation of effective microorganisms, you said EM. It's the lactobacilli that are very involved in breaking down that plant matter. And, you know, lactobacilli, we all know in terms of, like, if you make pickles or sauerkraut, that preserves the food. It's lacto-fermented. Well, it's the lactobacilli in those jars of sauerkraut that are protecting that niche. Um, Kind of another trait that they have. They're not just decomposers. But anyway... The organisms that were selected for the effective microorganism, the EM mother culture, are facultative. They have the ability to both do an anaerobic thing, but also flourish in an aerobic environment. And that's where the magic lies. So I'm not not trying to do with a fermented plant extract, a microbe brew. I'm not trying to fill that volume of water with microbes like you do with compost tea my focus is on the nutrients but certainly the microbes are there as well um and it just does phenomenal things by my orchard and i'm not buying a calcium product i'm not buying a silica product i also when i teach this you know for calcium for me it's it's comfy in its vivid stage just as it flowers um also nettle in its green stage when you might harvest it for tea For silica, I'm using the horsetail plant, but also nettle, that's in the seeded stage now, because now it's levels of silica go up. If you're in another place and you don't have those plants, bamboo is rich in silica, marsh grasses is rich in silica. The the room for exploring plant medicines is, is wide open in terms of what can you work on your farm. And another part I love about this, going a little deeper with that theme of these are plants that grow on my farm now we're talking about that biodynamic teaching of the farm as its own organism closing the loops um, from Rudolf steiner and and all the good work biodynamic people do this is so tied into all that and here's where i'm growing the the fruit and we're getting through the wet periods without the rots but it's also boosting nutrient density of the fruit itself so it's
0: all beautiful. Yeah. So w- one one question I have that's that I've been I've been I've been just learning about how people are creating cellulase and chitinase with vermicompost and insect frass, and the number one thing that everyone kind of arrives at after a few seconds they're like, oh wow, that's so great, you can just spray it on, and, and then they're like, but wait, what about all the good stuff? Because I mean. It digests not just the pests that you see, but it digests anything that relies upon chitin. So that all the fungal aspects, and then all, even nematodes, right, are made of, and arthropods are made of, um, uh, and microarthropods that rely upon chitin. So, so how do you feel about uh, using chitinase in an orchard setting or, or cellulase?
1: So I'm not as familiar with that, but it it sounds a lot like Buvaria bassiana, the the fungus that eats, uh, creates a mycelium in in your pest of choice. Um, When we start working with microbes, that Buvaria bassiana often is is raised on uh, sugars and wheat germ. It's not trained for the food resource we're asking it to, to find. Um, so we can get a little bit more involved with training the microbe aspect. Now, what you're talking about is unfamiliar to me, so I would have to learn more. Okay. Um, another part, I mean, now we're talking about the surface of the plant. So I like to use the term arboreal food web. Mm. And, and this is bacteria, fungi, you know, I think we can get our heads around this. Decomposition fungi breaking down organic matter. We can't see endomycorrhizae, but we can get our heads around. They're down there. They're in the roots, and this magic, this beautiful thing is happening. Um, but there's also epiphytic fungi that are living in the cambium cells and reaching out through stems and, and into the leaf itself. That there's a fungal presence within the plant above ground, um, and that's part of the arboreal food web. And, and when I work with holistic sprays, I'm feeding foodstuffs and replenishing the population numbers on the surface of the leaf. That's going to keep that arboreal food web humming. Um, You know, this opens the door on the concept of foliar feeding. Again, the ionists among us would have it that you spray some nutrients on the plant and if it's early enough in the morning or late in the day, some of that gets taken in through the stoma. And that's all you're feeding well that's the same simplicity that npk thinking reflects in the soil below and the microbe community consumes those nutrients they consume each other and that in turn makes a constant influx of nutrients available to the plant now let's add let's remember something i just talked about those epiphytic fungi hyphal tips are there on the surface And they are taking nutrients in the same way mycorrhizal fungi do. And, you know, I said we were in kindergarten with mycorrhizae, with epiphytic fungi. We haven't even entered daycare.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones that can suddenly kill a tree, like, all of a sudden, and just like flipping a switch, right?
1: There is that aspect in all the camps but we have overlooked the beneficial aspects for far too long. So when, when things get out of balance, yes, that part is there. Epiphytic fungi carry forward in the seed. I mean, this is something that plants have evolved with. And as we start to at least get into daycare, <laughs> maybe maybe make it the first grade in the course of our lives, um, This is an untapped realm and and one to start realizing. And and, and I got here talking with you right now because you said, can we damage it? We sure can damage it. You know, the arboreal food web, that biology on the surface of the plant, subject to things out of our control from hot, brought, really extreme cold acid rain, ultraviolet light. This is why I work to replenish those populations the holistic sprays that I do um, but now let's take put our eyes on what happens in industrial agriculture in terms of the use of fungicides so fungicides whether chemical or excessive use of so-called organic mineral fungicides copper lime sulfur sulfur being probably the gentlest um, that has major impact on these microbes fungicides kill things like the downy mildew and the rust diseases, which are fungal, but they also kill the epiphytic fungi. They drip to the soil, they kill the mycorrhizal fungi, they kill the decomposition fungi. We're our own worst enemy in terms of the way we've done agriculture this last hundred years, because we overlooked the good guys again and again and again, Um, and to our own cost, because when I talked about degraded soils, we're the driver. The human species is the driver of that.
0: Absolutely. So the flower spraying, so I know a little bit about the endophytic um, fungi, but, and I've heard that you can influence them and you can actually inoculate the seeds for the next generation by spraying the flowers. Is that, is, is that what, what started that? Or, I mean, I feel like so much of the things that I've heard are people studying you and trying to uh, come up with uh, for uh, come up with conclusions? <laughs>
1: as far as spraying the flowers, I'd, I I don't know about that, so I'd have to ask. What are we spraying the flowers with? So right. When I spray, let's say effective microorganisms, that's lactobacilli, that is various yeast species, which are unicellular fungi, um, and also photosynthetic bacteria maybe some acidomycetes as well, but none of those species being sprayed are like the endophytic fungi species. So I'm not sure if we have an influence in that way or not.
0: I know the common thing that um, my my Bokashi friends like to say is that um, the microbes then become food um, for the native uh, indigenous species. But that, that's that is certainly true. Yeah, you know, wow, so fascinating. It, it man, this is so awesome. So one of the other things that I thought was, was fantastic was that you, you you have the term orchard compost, which seems like a no brainer, but I don't see that everywhere. <laughs> and it's really a critical linchpin in how we treat the orchard in, in, in regular care.
1: So My rap on compost is, myself included, to me that was always like, okay, organic matter is being broken down and and this replenishes nutrients. I took a crop out, I put compost in, that helps replenish nutrients. And I've come to understand that compost is far much more than that. It's through compost that we continue to replenish microbial diversity. And so my thing with compost, on orchard compost. Another way of saying that is bacterial compost, some fungal dominated compost. So bacterial compost going in carbon in proper amounts, get a 20 to one or so ratio and the pile heats up. Some people turn their piles. You know, we could have a debate about that. Um, but it's definitely bacterial dominated and, and that goes out into the gardens. And I'll take that compost in process, not necessarily fully mature, and I'll mix it with the same volume of raw meal chipped wood. Now I've upped the carbon to nitrogen ratio to more like 40 to 1. And that pile is going to sit for 6 to 12 months, totally untouched. Uh, when I do my holistic sprays in the orchard, I have a timing to the bud stages and, and what's going on with pests and diseases. Um, when I go by these compost piles, I spray them. I spray them with my sprayer. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But what's in my sprayer makes all the difference. And and in there are fatty acids, from um, seed oils, using neem and caranja. Someday hemp oil is gonna be in this picture when mm-hmm. it gets to be more economical because we're finally growing lots of hemp everywhere. Um, it also includes Fish hydrolysate, which is a cold process fish fertilizer liquid fish, that has fatty acids. Fatty acids are few foods for fungi. Um, I'm using them that way on the leaf to to feed the masses, the arboreal food web I was talking about. But these orchard compost piles just get more and more diversity by sitting there. And, And when you break them apart a few months in, you know the pile's not heating now. It's, you'll see mycelium forming. Now, those are not mycorrhizal fungi. That would have to be affiliated with the roots of a plant. And in the case of endotypes, we can't even see them. They're too small. Those are decomposition fungi. Um, quite likely some species of, of white rot, because we have woodsy material in there. They're feeding off of the lignins in that wood. And when I spread that in the orchard and around the berry plantings, I am spreading a fungal diversity. That's what Orchard Compost is. I have a fourth book I wrote with my wife, Nancy, called Earthless Way. And and every time I write a book, The so Mycorrhizal Planet came out two, three years ago. I, I have to recover, both economically and, and just like, I got to do other things in life too, besides just zone in here. But I'm, I'm already feeling the building of the energy for a next book. And it, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, one never knows. So you get to, to the finish line what the title will be. Right now it's gonna be called Growing Healthy Plants, Holistic Principles for a Greener World. And, and it's gonna be all about telling everyone, no matter how you're involved with plants, how you're involved with the earth. Um, this is how nature does health. And we need to get it in our brains because there's, there's some definite things that we can do. Um, for me, those five principles, um, fungal stewardship, we've been talking about that. Mineralization. We bought, brought that into the, the picture. Um, haven't gotten into talking with you today about green immune function, but plants have an immune aspect to their phytochemistry. This is how they resist disease. If they didn't have this ability, look out the window, you wouldn't see any plants. It would have all died long ago because diseases are, are really, really smart. But nature, the system, is smarter. Um, the notion of the arboreal food web, what I call competitive colonization. That's key to preventing diseases from taking hold. And and the final piece is outrageous diversity, building a really diverse plant community because that builds and contributes to a really diverse fungal community. And when we tie all these together, you know, that's the basis of health. We have all these words. Um, organic certified organic beyond organic biodynamic ecological um, and and I like the nuance of words but for me once I got through that herbal husband phase uh, I started to see it as this is an allopathic choice this is something to thwart buffer against the pest or a disease which in truth are symptoms um, and you'll get this language in herbal medicine studies, quite a lot of it. Um, or we have a holistic choice, something that builds the health of the system. It builds it from within. Our approach in agriculture, whatever form you wanna, from industrial agriculture to the basic backyard garden, has been, the training has been pest, disease, symptom, um, overwhelmed, Find a medicine, find find a remedy, find a spray that toxifies, kills, removes the problem. When you work from within, you let the plant do it through its own immune function. You let outrageous diversity. Here, here, I'll just give you one quickie. <laughs> so this whole plant community and the mycelium and this vision of interaction, um, not just passing nutrients and water, but also chemical messaging, electrical pulsing, and so imagine your your space, your ecosystem, and over on this side of the garden, there's a strong presence of aphids or the green caterpillars are at work or grasshoppers are moving in. And those plants respond within themselves to produce phytochemical, hopefully to make them less attractive to the grasshopper or, or maybe the herbivore, the grazer. Um, but at the same time, Chemical signals are picked up through the roots and through the mycelium and delivered to the rest of the plant community. And plants that are subject to that particular pest, let's choose aphids, they in turn start producing compounds, volatile oils, that draw beneficials before the food resource, the aphid, arrives to their end of the ecosystem. It's just brilliant what's going on out there. And and as we can understand it, and take these principles and make them our own, for whatever we grow, we're gonna become gr- better growers, we're gonna become better earth stewards, and it's gonna be a good life.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. This was, this was amazing.
1: Well, you're very welcome, and uh, yeah, spread the good word. <laughs> we um, have a lot of work to do as, as humans and the more degraded lands we restore and, and we bring back vibrant plant communities, that's how we are ultimately going to address climate change. That's how we're ultimately going to get to the, the better place we need to get to.
0: Absolutely. So where can we learn more? Where can folks go to uh, maybe subscribe or, 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 or get ready for your next book? So fruit growers, you
1: know, for me, each each time I wrote, wrote apple grower, then I wrote holistic orchard, and even mycorrhizal planet it has its fruit part. Um, that's the trilogy that launches you into the realm of of fruit growing trees and and berries, and certainly fungal principles apply to the garden. Um, I said earlier, I think I said it, <laughs> that endomycorrhizae affiliate with about 85% of the species of plants on the planet, that's like most plants. And people have this notion that gardening is bacterial, and, and maybe I even slightly reinforced it when I talked about garden compost, orchard compost. But most plants, you know, brassicas, the broccoli, the cabbage, and charred red beets, buckwheat are non-mycorrhizal, we think, mostly. Um, again, things adapt, things evolve. But otherwise, the onions, the tomatoes, the potatoes, they follow the same rules. They like fungal friends. It, it makes them stronger plants. Um, holistic principles apply there. You know, they have diseases, well, create competitive colonization, feed the good microbes fatty acids. This is how it all comes together. Um, we all have a lot to learn. It's going to these principles, and for me, that launching pad was, was definitely mycorrhizal fungi. So, I think what I did in that book was, yes, I had read Paul Stamets' books, I, um, I've met him a couple times, I'm familiar with Peter McCoy's work, I have his book. And I saw in that lots of great knowledge, but I saw mycologist's work examining the fungal realm. I'm not trained that way. I'm a grower, I'm a plant person, I'm a tree person. And I wanted to explore what mycorrhizal fungi do for plants and the interaction of the two. And that's, that's a good way to go about it because that whole word, mycorrhizal, uh, the Greek roots, myco, that's the fungal kingdom. Rhiza, that's the root realm. It takes two to tangle, plant, fungus starting to learn about that and to think fungally to do fungally that's the answer to your question
0: yeah it was it was so phenomenal to find your work and find the doing because i mean i've read radical mycology twice and then i've had i've written like written basically a synthesis of it in my own book and then had peter correct me but then to find your book and find all the practices the how-to and then the science of those reactions and interactions was like like finding a new horizon that was that I had not found in permaculture. And meanwhile, I had you know two dozen peer reviewers. I mean, I've was it just was so so precious to be able to find your work and to implement it. And I'm going to be rewriting uh, a third edition of my book because you know I'm I'm a writer too. <laughs> So I'm always going back and tinkering, especially because my stuff is so general. Um, You really have to as you find new information to keep it up to date. So I'm just so grateful for the work that you've done and seeing that it was informational, that it was analytic and being like, well, I need the action part. I need the interaction part. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. This this has been a a fun hour spending time with you and, and talking about the things that I, I love to share about.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I just really appreciate it. You know, when you were talking, um, just to go tangential for a moment, when you're talking about allopathic versus holistic, it makes me really think that that is like a root, like a metaphorical root for what is wrong right now with the Western, especially American perspective is that we are seeking solutions that are like burnt earth kind of solutions rather than like, well, let's work with the immune system. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, um, you know, take those
1: analogies to how we do medicine for, for humans. Um, we're, we're riddled with allopathy. <laughs> and, and it has a place. There's a time when, let's say, fire blight bacteria and conditions are just right. I might need to do something a little more drastic, but I don't need to do it every time, not if I'm building a healthy system. And and that's what we need to know and understand in a very intimate way. It, it's it's not just our health at stake here. It's not just the crops that we grow, the whole idea of nutrient density. It's not just the wild lands. It's It's our planet. It's our future for our species. And if, getting this message out and starting to articulate it and more and more people are, are doing it and seeing how it comes together um we're going to find answers we're going to find solutions but we have to get out of that allopathic mindset like you said
0: i think it might even deal with politics my, my mom was a, a connecticut like middle of the road politician for like 16 years um and and it just feels like we're in this kind of like s- symptomatic, fractured perspective. Even in education, the siloing that we see, you know, at a university level and even on a high school level. I mean, humanities is hard to find where you combine English. Uh, that's what I am. I'm a humanities credential teacher, um, and so this holistic, from within, understanding systemic um, systems. You know, it just seems like that is not something that we culturally even even grasp right now.
1: No, I, I would agree with you. You know, it's we got to get back to basics. We got to understand holism and and find our ways of, of supporting that. You know, when I talk in my classes about the soil food web and I introduce people and and everyone has a sense of this but you know the trophic layers you got the bacteria and fungi breaking down organic matter and nematodes and protozoa feeding that and there's trillions and trillions of organisms and tell people I think of that as my team and in a very arrogant sense I'm the captain of this amazing team um call myself captain of something so wise and intelligent is the arrogant part. But I know as captain, I have one job. My job is really, really simple and not not screw things up for my team. And and that's my guiding directive. And just as you're introducing these bigger elements of our culture, and we talked about medicine, um, we gotta trust that nature did it right. And if we support that system, those, those inner body systems, those inner plant fungal connections, things happen, and we can get back on course. Absolutely. I have some words for you. <laughs> I have some words for you that I'm gonna just share as kind of an ending. Um, you know, for me, the Apple is really my inspiration, and. and You'll, you'll hear it in, in these words from the 19th century from Walt Whitman. Um, he wrote, the sun and the stars that float in open air, the apple-shaped earth and we upon it, surely the drift of them is something grand. I love that image, <laughs> our apple-shaped earth, and that, that we're here drifting with the sun, and the stars and the microbes, and all of it is grand. I love it.
0: Wow, that was an incredible interview with Michael. His knowledge is so deep. I was able to understand things, you know, at a new level. And I would love for you to check out what I have done—the free ebook, *The Permaculture Student 2*. Hop in there, check it out, and you will understand what we were talking about at a greater level, and you'll be able to have that understanding applied to all that information in there and take it a little bit further, which is what this program in many ways is. I'm always looking for that further edge, always looking for that caveat, that, that, that condition that it will, it depends complexity, because that's where the newer understanding is. That's where the greater fluency is waiting for all of us. And that's you know, a big part of what I do in my courses. The Advanced Permaculture Student Online, we go so deep. Uh, Michael Phillips is a primary focus um, in my course. It was an absolute pleasure to have him on there and to kind of run a lot of the other teachers, teachings that we have out in the world today through his expertise and get some really incredible feedback and insight on you know, the caveats, the context that it depends um, when it comes to all these other contexts and other teachers. His experience is stunning. His understanding is amazing. And we're so lucky to have him writing and releasing new material constantly out into the world. If you like this sort of thing, please share it with your friends, please subscribe, and please check out the free books, free courses, and other free resources at ThePermacultureStudent.com I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively.